0: And welcome to another episode of Boundless Body Radio. I'm your host, Casey Ruff, and today we have another amazing guest to introduce to you now. And if I can get through this introduction, I'm going to be super proud of myself. This is ridiculous. <laughs> Sifu Ellen Baker is a high-performance coach and an internationally recognized martial arts and self-defense expert. He now has over 40 years' experience in the arts. In his career, he has achieved the level of black belt or higher in, just, just wait for this, Gracie Jiu-Jitsu, Judo, Muay Thai boxing, Wing Chun and Shaolin Kung Fu, Filipino Kali, Jeet Kundo, and Kisei fighting method. And those are just a small fraction of the other certifications, accomplishments, and trainings that he has achieved in his career. Wow. <laughs> Unreal. He has worked with multiple SWAT and tactical teams, the Department of Defense, the CIA, and many other government and military groups. He is an inductee of the WHFSC International Martial Arts Hall of Fame. He is the author of the book, The Warrior's Path, A Warrior-Based Approach to Personal Change, published this year, and is the founder of the Civilian Tactical Training Association. That is a vastly abbreviated version of an introduction. C.F. Ellen Baker, welcome to Boundless Body Radio.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: <laughs> Dude. Uh, what else can you accomplish in your career? That is unbelievable. Like reading through all the things that you've done, like I would highly encourage the listener to like go look you up and see all the things you've accomplished because that was vastly, vastly abbreviated.
1: <laughs> I like to stay busy. <laughs> Apparently,
0: um, this is a kind of a joke of a question. Um, I ask this lightly, but I actually expect like a really serious and thoughtful answer. If I gave you like ten seconds, how many times could you kill me, and which method would you choose?
1: <laughs> <laughs> I, I guess it would depend on how, how vigorously you fought back.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I would fight back very hard against you. <laughs> I feel like you could kill me many times. Um, I, I would love to hear about your story. When did you, um, become so interested in martial arts?
1: Oh, well, I was, uh, very young. I was a kid and I was a rowdy youth. I was, uh, blessed with, uh, ADHD. So, I had boundless amounts of energy. Uh, I probably drove my mom crazy. Um, One of the stories she'll tell is that I never wanted to go to sleep because I didn't want to miss anything. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I got up super early, and I still do to this day. Just for that reason, you feel like you're missing out. But uh, the downside to that was uh, I had a hard time focusing and containing that energy and uh, being a rowdy kid, I didn't always do it in a in the best way possible. <laughs> so mom introduced me to a local martial artist, um, and uh, I fell in love with it. I, I still remember this day getting going into the class. She took me to the class, and it, at that time, it was in a fallout shelter of a local community college. And wow. The gentleman, uh, he had his two sons in class, and they were obviously... Had done it for way many years, and I wanted to fight, which was odd for the first day. (laughs) And you know, he goes, "Okay, you can you can spar with my sons," and they beat me to death. Uh, I remember it to this day. That's how much of a of a memorable event it was for me, and I loved it. Um, Wow! You know, because you you go to school or fight with your friends, you got in trouble. (laughs) But here was this environment I could go and have an outlet for this energy, and and aggressive energy, and it was accepted. And uh, they not only accepted it, they they started to teach me ways to control it and uh, aim it in a proper direction.
0: How did that help you with your ADHD?
1: One of the first things, uh, you know, mentally, you have a very busy mind. Um, and it was very difficult to focus <clears throat> and that this was a, a common theme when I was a kid, you know, I'd, I'd be in school and the, the teacher would say, you really need to learn to focus. Um, you, you go out with your friends and they want to do something and, you know, you just couldn't stay on point and I'd hear it again. You need to, need to learn to focus mom and dad at home, you know, it's, son, you need to learn to focus. And and I heard that for many years until I met. Um, it's probably mid-teens when I met another one of my instructors, and um, I was trying to learn the system, doing my best. And uh, he said that same thing. I I remember this very vividly. He goes, "Man, you you really need to learn to focus yourself." And I can remember just being lost at that time. You know, I was just like my shoulders dropped, and I was like, "Yeah, I know." You know, I've heard that before. And then he said, has anyone ever taught you to do it? And that's no, no one had ever taught me to do it. And he began to teach me how to collect that mental energy and direct it. Not only, you know, in the academy, but um, which was I used a lot at the time, but in life. Uh, It's one of the moments that helped me direct the energy I've had in my life effectively outside of the academy in business uh, in life.
0: Mm. Wow, that's so interesting. I think for somebody like me who hasn't ever like gone into a martial arts studio really. I mean, I've trained like some MMA fighters and things like that, but I haven't had a lot of experience with this. A lot of the martial arts feel really mythical. They feel like, you know, it's like karate kid or Bruce Lee or or things like that. How is it different in real life versus, you know, what the I guess, like the standard, I don't know, like the way that most people would think about it.
1: As, as far as maybe an altercation on the street or application?
0: Well, yeah, that's where I definitely want to go with this, is like there, there's martial arts and there's, there's also like self-defense. And th- those two things, I think a lot of people think of them as the same thing, but they're totally different, aren't they?
1: I agree, yes. Martial arts, you know, it's a little bit broader spectrum. Yes, you know, on the surface you're learning, some techniques to defend yourself. Um, But additionally, you're learning self-betterment and physical change. Um, Different systems, you know, believe that you not only want to get more information and knowledge, but you want to condition and change the body over time. So after you've trained for, say, 100 days, you should be a different person physically, mentally, and the information you have. Um, So there's a little more in depth or it's a little more involved in the training Um, and self-defense you know doesn't go that deep necessarily you know they they just look at the combative application between two people fighting Uh, what do I need to make it effective both of which are, are very important
0: Mm, that's so interesting. I remember there was one time when I was living in Brazil, there were two kids that maybe like eight, nine years old, and they were getting into a fight on the street and we kind of watched it unfold and they were kind of pushing each other. And then they started fighting, but they were fighting by using the style of capoeira, which is super interesting. It was almost like a dance the way they started fighting. But the, I realized like, that is extremely rare. It's it's not like on, on a street fight, people would, you know, start you know using karate or something like that it it seems like you know the self defense kind of way of defending yourself is totally different than using a style that you learn in a studio is that right
1: very vastly different um there's so many more things you got to take into consideration on the street especially here in the states um one is the the laws um you know in, in most martial arts academies they don't take that into consideration you know what are your local laws um, and you also have to take into consideration how it appears. Especially these days, you've got cell phones, videos everywhere, and you, you could get in an altercation, and you could be in the right to defend yourself. But if somebody were to catch that on video uh, and at the at the wrong moment, then it it appears that you're not, and it can go against you. So you know you have to take the laws into consideration. You have to take it into consideration what you're doing visually. And I, I usually like to say it's got to be visually uh, appropriate and socially acceptable. Um, and with that said, generally, it'll have to be on some type of force continuum, which is which is a little different than most martial arts. Most martial arts, they're assuming that, you're, okay, you're in the fight. Here's what you do. But You know, a lot of of my clients who have had altercations on the street, you know, when they start to enter into a social altercation, they're thinking to themselves, is this really happening? Should I do something now? Is this guy serious? So it's that lead up to it that can get you. And one of the reasons is because you haven't studied on how to deal with that. You know, you haven't studied verbal exchange, or I like to call it the gift of gab. And you know, when you study something, you can kind of elevate yourself outside of it and look at what's going on. So, like if 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 I've never studied the gift of gab necessarily, the guy says something, and I immediately have an emotional response to him. But if I've studied what's going on, you know, I know that this is this predator is doing an interview, and then uh, if he gets his signals, if he thinks he can elevate this to the next level. Then he starts to wolf you. He starts to elevate the stress level of the conversation. Mm. Now, at this point, he's not even laid hands on you, hasn't made a fist or anything. He's just testing you out to see what your what your reaction is going to be. He's going to determine if he can make a meal out of you. Um, so just the verbal study, the art that leads up to positioning is, is – Vast. and and no one does it in the martial arts necessarily. and and they should. You should know how to navigate a socially verbally stressful situation. And then uh, prior to any physical contact is just positioning yourself. How do I put put myself in the proper place? What is my body language saying to the threat? What is the threats? body language saying to me? Have I taken enough time to read those things and understand them? Uh, so that i can know what's happening how's he positioning himself where is he placing himself that is a conversation of placement um and all of that happens uh in an exchange unless he just runs across a room and hits you and at that point yes it's on And, and so but you you could just go up the the scale of force and then you have the moment of touch and sometimes guys will come up you know they'll Just put their finger on your chest. Well, am I supposed to hit them? That's what my martial arts teacher told me to do. Well, if I do that, I'm going to jail. Um, So, what are my low level skill sets for soft touch? You know, I'm going to have to have some physical contact with this person, but it hasn't elevated yet. Um, He's still testing out the water and seeing what he can get away with. Um, What What is your plan? Have you trained that? Do you have techniques and information available for it? Um, Control methods at that level. Now, obviously, if uh, he decides to make a fist and fire it across your head, that's the easy part. Um, And that's what most martial arts assume is you're already to that level of force. But in the actual situation, all of that can happen prior So you're sitting there. If you have never trained it or studied it, what should I do? You know, my teacher told me to get into a stance and make a fist. But if I do that, that's on the verge of assault, you know, and I am elevating it at that point. He may stand there square to me with his hands down, but he may be mouthing off a little bit. And here I go into a stance and put my hands up. I just elevated the situation. So I'm the one making it worse. So there's a lot to take into consideration on the self-defense side of the house before you really get to combative study. Mm,
0: that That is so interesting. There's so much there to unpack. I mean, I didn't even consider the visuals, like you said, like everybody having a cell phone and being able to record anything they like at any time. Like I didn't even consider that. I mean, for somebody like me, who's very non-confrontational, I played hockey my entire life, even at the college level, <laughs> and I've never been in a fight. It it occurs to me that the first step of avoiding confrontation is just not to go where confrontation is, right? Like if if you're not going to a bar and getting drunk, you know, if you're an Ohio State fan, you probably wouldn't go to Ann Arbor and you know, go to a bar and, and drink that that would cause a confrontation, but once once something starts, what are some steps to almost like de-escalate a situation and kind of bring things down before it comes to that physical touch that you mentioned?
1: Well, if if you train it, um what you do verbally has a huge effect. Um, and, and different students that I've worked with on this, they'll have different methods to do it. Uh, like for me, I, I joke around uh, when I'm in an exchange uh, because it works for me. Some students, you know, they're very stern when the, when they're using it. But the thing is. You know, not all systems work for all people. You have to find what fits your personality. The main thing is that you are able to have a verbal exchange and do it in a way that lets the threat know you're not going to be an easy meal. Um, So one of the ways we'll find it in class is we, we call it the sidewalk drill. We'll get two road cones and we'll put it at one end of the mat and I'll have the student. I want you to walk across the mat and go between the cones. And then I'll play the bad guy. And, you know, there's different types of threats uh, from somebody just asking for a dollar. Maybe they recognize you from school. They're just coming to interview you. Well, for some people, just being approached will completely shut them down. And you have some guys who are they, they're gifted with gab and they're able to have that verbal exchange and handle it. Um, which is great, but then what do those guys who don't have it do? So that is an opportunity to practice it in a safe environment so that when you actually have that altercation, you've got some verbal tools that you can use. And the more you practice it, the better you can get at it. Somebody says something, uh, like I said, I'll I'll counter it a lot of times with humor. I'll make fun of myself or make fun of the situation wow. de-escalate it, you know um, the best I can. So, uh, it, it, it like I said, it depends, uh, on the individual, what they're comfortable with. And like you said, you may be more non-confrontational. So the verbal skills you use might be based around that. That's okay. The main thing is that you have them and you don't freeze in the moment. So sometimes that you get introduced to that social stress. That's really what that predator is looking for. If he sees you, uh, 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 uh well, uh, uh, at that moment, he's like, okay, I got this guy. And even if all he wants to do is get you to give him a dollar, the more uncomfortable he can make you, he may not even want to fight, but if he can make you uncomfortable, you just give him the money just to, so he'll leave you alone. Mm-hmm. Uh, he may be wanting to look good for his buddies. And, you know, if you could recognize that situation and handle it appropriately, done. You don't have to have a physical exchange.
0: Mm, that is so interesting. I never considered the power of humor to deescalate a situation like that. Almost like self-depreciation kind of thing. Is that how you approach it?
1: Uh, well, I, personally, I, I joke around and, you know, I've have been in some situations where they didn't appreciate the joking around. I had to take a, a little different path, you know, <laughs> but, um, it's usually one of the first places I go is, I'll smile, talk to them, uh, you know, I've got a couple of lines I'll use this just funny. And uh, I kind of make fun of myself or the situation and and try to de-escalate it a little bit. If they continue to elevate it, then, you know, you have to follow suit, you, you know, because they're testing you, they're wolfing you, they're interviewing you. Um, so if they see that, you know, you put your tail between your legs at some moment, that may be what they're looking for because they're looking for an easy meal. Um, so at, obviously at some point you may have to come across a little more stern and straight and let them know that it's not going to be an easy meal. Wow. Uh, and it's time to move, move along. Wow.
0: That is so interesting. It, it occurs to me that training in that situation, it's like you explained, like training with people that are consensual with you is totally different than, you know, a, a non-consensual situation where, you know, it, you're on the streets, you're out in, you know, public and something like this happens, but it seems like like you said, like the training of the situation with consensual people can help you be more relaxed and more chill when that situation arises, if it ever arises.
1: It definitely does. Uh, I've actually seen this for many years in our uh, CTAC classes. Uh, that's, that's the class that we do the sidewalk in, And we've had students come in and, you know, we'll put them in the situation and they're just completely shut down. Uh, they're, they're so closed off from the adrenal dump that they can't even speak. And then, you know, from playing and putting them in an environment where they can try things and give, we give them ideas, and we also let them play the predator. So they, they get to go be the bad guy a little bit, and they learn what the predatorial mindset is. How do I, How are they interviewing you? How are they starting to wolf? And so they understand the stages. When they're on the other end of it, they go, okay, this guy's he's doing an interview. I know what he's doing. So I'm not necessarily going to get emotionally caught up in what's being said. I look at it as what it is. It's a verbal combat drill. And, and if I can look at it from that perspective, I can deal with it a little easier. So you'll have that same student who had difficulty talking to the threat. Six months later, they're out there having a good time with it. And you know their posture is different. They're holding themselves in a more confident way. They're placing themselves physically better. And overall, even prior to verbal interaction, a threat will pick out who they're going to approach just by how they present themselves. You know, are you walking down the street with your head down, looking at your phone, shoulders slumped, um, or do you have good posture? Are you confident? Do you make eye contact? And this is all that posturing that we talked about earlier. You can have a posturing conversation with a threat without ever saying a word. Yeah. Have you ever walked by a guy and he'll give you the bro nod? Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> what's up? Because that's a form of posturing. You know, sometimes they'll open their chest a little bit and you know, cock their head to the side and, and look at you.
0: <laughs> we call that yeah. peacocking when you're like walking by the yeah. pool and like keeping yeah. your chest up. Like, what's up?
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a, it's, a, it's a form of posturing and, and communication. And predators will use this. And it's an art just like making a fist and punching somebody in the face is an art. And the more you study it, the more you, you can project or you can communicate what you want to communicate to that threat. And you will also recognize what the threat is saying. You, they may be coming from across a parking lot, and you, you. the better you get at it, the more you study, you can go, that's kind of aggressive, what I'm getting, you know? And the, the conversation prior to even turning into a verbal exchange.
0: Wow. This is so fascinating to me. Like, I never considered putting your students in the situation where they would be the, the predator, the wolf. I, that would make so much sense to understand that kind of, like, psychology. What other signs are predators or, you know, quote unquote, bad people looking for, you know, you mentioned like, you know, slumping shoulders, um, looking at a phone, like what other signs are they looking for when they're looking at somebody to, you know, go after or attack?
1: Well, I think one of the main things is just being unaware. Hmm. You know, it's, um, for instance, if we go back to the parking lot, um, example, and if I'm aware and I'm, my eyes are up and I see you, hundred yards away walking and I can read a little bit of those physical things that are maybe you're on the other side of the parking lot. So you come over to where I am and you're, now you're walking toward me and I start to prepare myself in my mind. I'm like, okay, this could be something. I may walk over here. I'm going to change my posture. Now, if we did the same scenario again and I walk out of the building, my head's down, I'm looking at my cell phone, not paying attention to anything And the guy does the same thing and I don't notice. By the time I notice, I'm caught off guard. Or we we like to say you are behind time. Everything you do can be based on three times. Ahead of time, on time, or behind time. And behind time is never good in anything. Verbal, physical expression, fighting, it's never good. So we always plan to be ahead of time. And one of the ways we do that is just being aware having 360 degrees of awareness, and train it, not just talk about it. Um, I think that, to your question, that is one of the things the predator looks for, is initially is someone that's just unaware of what what's going on around them. Mm. And if they are, it allows me to get close to you. And, and maybe by the time I spring my interview on you, it's a surprise. And I've caught you a little off guard and it's just like physically fighting you know you you get caught a little off guard you may be even be a better fighter and they'll get you mm-hmm. at that moment just because of the timing so I think that's one of the main things they'll look for uh, past that is going to be how you hold yourself physically um, because uh, you know predators in my experience have a gift of reading that and knowing because like I said, that's an easy meal for me today.
0: Mm. Wow. So, so me checking out my phone or being swept up in thoughts, not being mindful, traveling through whatever space without any awareness makes me behind time and thus like not ready for some kind of attack.
1: Uh, yes. I, even farther out from what we've talked about so far, which is the verbal communication is, you know, being able to do an advance on where you are. Uh, restaurant, parking lot, even on the spot. What what are my options? What's available? Who's here? Um, you know, where are the exits? So, and that's all a level of trained awareness. One is just being aware. You know, don't get lost in your phone. But, you know, when you get into your car, when you finally get home, there you go. You can play on the phone. But if you are out in public and, you know, maybe you've got to read on the environment and it's not the best, be aware. Keep your eyes up. Um, and look around. Past that is trained awareness. And you see this with a lot of protection agents, bodyguards. You know, they, they're they paid to have uh, a high level of trained awareness. They have gone sometimes in advance to locations that they're going to take their clients, and they have studied that location. They know the ins, the outs, uh, for instance, of a restaurant. Uh, they know the different uh, driving uh, pathways to get there. They've probably chosen at least three of them to get there and get away. They can tell you where the local uh, police department is, where's the local hospital. Um, so they've put some effort into it. Wow. Um, obviously, as civilians, we don't go to that level and we're not prof- pro- professional protection agents, but it is something to think about. Like if I'm taking my family on a vacation, have you researched the area you're going? You know, the hotel you're staying. Um, Do you know where the local law enforcement office is? Where's the hospital? What are the routes to get there? You know, if I'm going to go, I know I'm going to this beach. What are the different routes to get from the beach to the hospital? And then same thing. How do I get to the police station or the hospital? Mm. And the more you know, uh, the higher you have a trained awareness of that area. Wow,
0: that is so fascinating. That I that makes me so grateful for my dad who taught me how to drive and always taught me to look at like escape routes when you're driving. Like, what happens if somebody cuts you off? Like, where are you going to go? Are you going to turn left? You're going to turn right? You're going to hit the brakes? Like, there's different options for different scenarios, and you should always be considering that. Just even in driving, it makes so much sense that you would also consider that in real life.
1: Yeah, definitely.
0: Wow, that's
1: the whole. You know, none of that. You, to go back to one of your original questions, none of that is really talked about or studied in a martial arts class.
0: Hmm. So they're more practicing the skill and learning how to fight in different ways and obviously different styles, which, you know, originated from different parts of the world. But they, do they not like consider those kinds of things as far as like everyday kind of self defense things kind of go?
1: Some will, um, but most of them. You know, they're just teaching techniques from their martial art. And, and, you know, we spoke about CTAC earlier, and that's one of the reasons we designed the program is to have those answers because we didn't have them in a lot of the systems that we were teaching. And so we, you know, we wanted to give this information to the client. So they're better prepared. So that's uh, that's when we started to design that curriculum and put it together.
0: Mm, that is so interesting to me. I'm definitely going to sign up for that and and you know get some of your online videos, which I want to talk about a little bit later. Tell me like the difference between you mentioned earlier the gift of gab, which I think is so important to to communicate. How would you directly communicate to somebody who is approaching you who is not necessarily approaching you in a way that you feel truly comfortable with? I think I've heard in the past, like you can, you know, reach out your palm and say, stop. And if they continue, you can yell, stop in a really loud way that draws attention. Like what, what ways would you can consider communicating with somebody who could be a
1: threat? Well, you know, it'll come back to the practitioner, what they're comfortable with. Um, you know, uh, are they comfortable with their physical skills? And if, if they are not, maybe they will have those reactions, the more comfortable you are with uh, the skills that you can apply when you are actually thrust into a physical exchange, uh, it'll just that confidence will change how you verbally interact. I mean, I address uh, personally any threat that's coming toward me. So I, I could go, stop. Or I could go, hey, man, what's up? What's going on today? Uh, it's nice weather we're having, right? Hmm. Hey. Did we go to school together? No, that must have been somebody else. But you really look like that guy. You guys related? Do you know? Wow. <laughs> so it's like I'll I'll interact with them and I'm it's like a machine gun. I'm constantly making them think and forcing them to interact with me. And the nice thing about it is they'll either Oh, no, man, who are you? I didn't go to school with you. So at that point right there, I can get a read on what I've got in front of me. And if if he hears me having this exchange with him and he's just like, uh, dude, who the hell are you? I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to do this right there. I already know. And I might be 15 feet away from the guy, but he's announcing what his intent is at that point due to the verbal. Now, if he just ignores me and keeps walking toward me, He's, all, he's also announcing his intent. So um, you, that's one of the re- ways I will generally do it. Hmm. Is, uh, I, I'm not shy. The second eye contact or you, you get some of the bro talk <laughs> or the uh, <laughs> cock walk, as we talked about earlier, I'll, I'll immediately start to talk to them and communicate to them. Wow. And how they deal with that verbal communication tells me a lot about what their intent is interesting.
0: This is blowing my mind. This is so much more individualized than I would have thought. I would have thought there would have been like one system or one way to do things, but it it seems like you guys work with people on such an individual level and work with what their skills and, you know, their tendencies are to deescalate a situation. It's so different than what I would have expected you to say.
1: Well, we, we try. I tend to stay away from, uh, well, I, can't, I guess I can't say that, but I don't begin with systemized thought. Um, and th- to me, that is a uh, a pitfall of martial arts is, you know, you go and I'll sign up for this system and the teacher says, this is the best thing in the world. You came to the right place. And if I accept that, I'll, because my teacher told me, well, now I'll go forward thinking it's the best thing in the world. But I, the, the truth is, might not be. It might not fit me. It might not fit the situation I'm going to be in. Uh, But the system may work for the teacher. So what I'll tell a lot of my clients is uh, we use a principle called system as a source, meaning all systems are great sources of knowledge, but they all don't have every answer. So we use them to gain knowledge and wisdom. We, we We use them as sources of information. And we'll take that information and we'll apply it to the human machine. And I use this quote a lot. All systems are designed by man for man. Therefore, man is ultimately the answer, not the system. So, but we will borrow information from the system and we will start to build what works for us based on our height, how heavy we are, are we strong, are we weak? Do we have a strong personality? Are we non-confrontational? We want to take that into consideration to build the system for ourselves. And then once we start to get that together, we test it. And we also use the primal environment principle. Um, A primal environment is an environment that will exist between two people in combat, regardless of training. And so it's like um, weaponry. You can pick up a rock and throw it at someone. You don't have to be trained to do it. Uh, But if you're trained throwing rocks, yes, you'll be better. I can break a bottle and stab you. I don't have to be trained to do that. I can use a knife. But obviously, if I am, I'm better at it. Those are primal environments. And there's a list of them. So as we are building this system for ourselves, we want to make sure we get a good answer in each of those primal environments that we can train. And then we test it. We get on the academy floor with a good partner who understands what we're doing. And we polish it so that it works for us. Now, at that point, we will re-systemize what we come up with. And now we have a system of Casey. It is yours. And then you can move forward and train it consistently over time. And you can get really good at it. And you're probably going to have a higher level of efficiency with this personal system you've developed than you would if you just followed along with the system that your, your instructor told you is the best. So that's generally what we try to do with, with even students. By the time they get to a advanced level, that's what we're looking for them uh, to do and to be thinking.
0: Hmm. Wow. That is so fascinating. So for, for somebody, I guess you know, like me, who who isn't super interested in you know becoming a, a black belt in jujitsu. How much training is actually truly necessary to be, let's say, like proficient in self defense? Say something were to come up on the street. Like, it, does this require months and months of training? Does it require years of training, like it would to be you know black belt in jujitsu, or is this something that could be accomplished in a few hours?
1: Well, you know, it's just like anything you want to be good at um if you train it consistently over time you're going to be better at it um it's one thing to have the knowledge in your head and it's another thing to practice it so you can actually do it and then it's another level to do it under stress so yes you know whatever you put together you do have to put a little consistency in now does that mean i have to go to class twice a week not necessarily. I've got clients who will train their self-defense information every four months throughout the year due, due to their schedules. they're They're very busy, uh, they're protection agents. so they're literally flying all over the world and working all the time. But they be sure that they schedule about every three to four months time, even if it's just a day, to put in some consistent effort. Now, will they be as good at it as the guy that goes to class three times a week? No. But you have to find out what fits your lifestyle and what you're actually going to do. You know, so if you say, I'm going to go to this class three times a week, and then six months from now, your wife goes, dude, I want to, I haven't seen you. Where you been? Well, you're going to cut it loose. So you have to be realistic and decide what you can actually do. And then build the system and training process around that. So it, even if you just do it twice a year, if, if be honest, if we know that, then we can design your system to work for you as best it can with what you have available. So we may choose techniques that don't require as much polish. Um, you know that that takes maybe not as much time to get good at. But we know that's happening, you know, so maybe next year you go, I'm going to do it four times a year. Okay, cool. Let's add this in so that you might get a little higher level of proficiency. Um, I think a lot of people look at martial arts and self-defense and they see what's involved and they just give up. And, you know, if you go to your local school, hey, how do I get good? Well, most of the time the answer is you've got to come to class twice a week for the next 10 years. That's right. And so you go in your mind, you're like, I just can't do that, and that's sad, you know. When when the answer is what we just said, uh, it's it is more personalized. So you you do have to find an instructor that has a process to design these systems for you, mm. um, and you know, and if all they've done is one system and that's all they know, that's that's what they're you're going to get. You know, you give a hammer and a nail to a carpenter, he's you know. He's not going to make a window or a glass frame out of sure. it. Sure. How
0: how should we be – this sucks because um it's becoming so much more and more prevalent, like things like mass shootings and weapons involved. How should we be thinking of, if we're not carrying a weapon, a gun, a knife, and, and somebody confronts us with a weapon, how should we be thinking about that?
1: A lot of that – is in the weaponry primal environment that we discussed earlier is projectile weaponry or edge weaponry. And, uh, you should have an answer. Um, for instance, like if I'm in a situation where they're armed and I'm not, most of the time, the answer is a disarm. Um, and, and it may be, but I I disagree with how it's presented sometimes, you know, they're like, they'll teach you this gun disarm, pat you on the back and go, now you've got it. Good luck. Uh, I'm not real crazy about techniques as far as gun disarming goes. I teach more on a principle-based idea. So what we want to do is if we're placed in that situation, we want to look at what skills and principles absolutely have to happen to be successful, and we'll train those first. And then through that training, we'll start to find techniques that will surface that will work for you. And what works for me might not work for you, just like we said earlier. Mm. Um, But there's a lot of answers. But due to more principle-based scenario training, you're not only going to have better answers, but you're you're going to understand what you have. So, for instance, if I'm in that situation, the guy has a gun and I've got to do a disc arm, and I can say I'm within range to reach out and touch the weapon. And if I've done it a bunch of times, I go, I think I can do it. But what if I step back two feet? Can I still do it? Or what if I'm four feet back? You know, what if the threat backs up? Have I practiced that enough to know I can do it? Now, if I've spent time doing it, I may think, I think I can do it. I did it several times in practice. So, you know, my wife's here. I've got to go for it. So I do. But that will change when I step out of the car next week and twist my ankle. Mm. And I have to understand that. I have to, at that moment, I go, man, I woke up sore this morning. I don't know if I can transverse that four feet today. So maybe I have to negotiate closer. Hey, man, what do you want? I'll give you my wallet, whatever you want. It's yours. Take the car as I'm walking a little closer, if he lets me. And now I'm in range to do it. But the only time I will know that is if I've trained it on a principle-based idea. If I, if I just learned a technique and I'm, I'll do that technique teacher taught me, but I'm four feet away. We never really discussed that. That's not going to turn out good.
0: (laughs) Wow. Yeah. That's super interesting. Um, I love the way you approach that. I've, I've seen you also like present different options for things like being in a car versus outside of a car. And, you know, you mentioned earlier in this conversation positioning and how important that is. I think that is just so critical to learn and then try to individualize it and apply it to different situations. Is that right? Yes, sir. Mm. How should I think about self-defense? You know, maybe I feel like I can walk, confidently and you know i i feel strong and i don't really feel like a lot of people would approach me but i'm with somebody who i also want to protect maybe that's a spouse a child um somebody who might be the primary you know might be the primary target of an attack how should i think about self defense not only for myself but other people around me that i want to keep safe
1: it actually Does change it quite a bit. Um, This is something we talked about earlier with the uh, protection industry, uh, protection agents, because especially uh, protection agents that will deal with uh, highly recognizable talent. And it might not even be a high level of force uh, that they're dealing with, but that threat, so to speak, he doesn't care about you. He is visually fixated on the target, like you said. He'll look around you and walk around you to get to them. So you're trying to place yourself between the threat and the principal, or you know your wife or whoever you're trying to protect, and that actually changes application of a lot of this stuff considerably. And that one, you know, I can grab onto a person, but if their intent is going past me, they're harder to stop. So one of the first things you have to take into consideration is breaking that visually fixated intent. I have to actually get it on me and pull it off of the principal or my wife. Wow. And usually when that happens, you're in close proximity because they're walking around you. They don't care about you until you get their attention, so to speak, which is your job. You have to do that in order to deal with them. So by the time they realize they're not going to make it through this body, they're right on top of you. They're in pummeling range. So, you know, you have to have some options for that control. And so, you know, like some options in pummeling ranges, I'll just throw him on the ground. But then we have to kind of go back to what are the legal ramifications of that? He hasn't done anything but posture himself aggressively. And then here I pick him up and throw him on the ground. I'm probably going to be the one getting in trouble. Wow. So. Even though we're in that situation, I still have to attempt to do some sort of socially acceptable control. Attempt it. And he has to be the one to elevate it. This is unfortunate. I'd like to just punch him and it would turn out better for me. Right. (laughs) You know, uh, but except for when the law enforcement officer shows up. So if I can do that and I'm trying to control the situation and do it in a socially acceptable, visually appropriate way, and now he is forced to elevate it. Now, he may shove me, trying to move me out of the way, and he clearly shows his intent to elevate force. Now, at that time, okay, I can step it up too. Um, It's a lot to think about.
0: (laughs) This is a lot to think about. This is blowing my mind. It's so interesting. Interesting.
1: Well, it, and the thing is that that's one of the reasons for understanding it and training it in advance because it's way easier to find it to decide what you're going to do in advance and not in the moment. So if I already know, all I have to do is decide when I'm going, that's way easier than deciding what.
0: <laughs> yeah. Wow. So interesting. I've heard you talk about breathing. Um, I know you have a course that's all about proper breathing and mindfulness. And I think that is so, so important, especially given what you just said, like being present in a situation and thinking clearly and deciding what to do when there is so much to think about yet you know, also having kind of like an empty mind and, and, you know, kind of more of like a Taoist approach of, you know, letting things happen, describe the importance of proper breathing in all of this, you know, kind of the self-defense, I don't know how to phrase this. (laughs) It's just so interesting to me. (laughs) Describe how, yeah, like describe how breathing fits into all of this and and proper breathing and slowing down the breathing and controlling the breathing fits into self-defense.
1: Well, you know, it's like we 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 just said we decide what we're going to do, and then we train it, polish it, and we get it looking really good. And we're in the academy, and it's it's we're able to apply it. Man, it's so great. And then we go out on the street. The big thing that changes is, uh, well, the threat of the unknown. So we don't know if it's going to work. What? Who is that guy? Does he have a knife? Man, he looks bigger than me. He looks meaner than me. Um, that starts to create an emotional reaction. And if we haven't learned to deal with that emotional reaction, even if we're a highly effective martial artist, you it's, it could shut you down. And we all have a, a spectrum or a gauge that how far can we go before that emotional energy is going to take you over? And we have to train that just like we train our physical techniques. And applications. And if we haven't, it's going to get you. So we that's one of the things we can do in the academy is we'll create those scenarios and try to create that emotional reaction. It's actually one of the best places to do it. And then when we've created it, one of the first tools to deal with it is the breath. It's a common term I use uh, with a lot of clients and students is the breath is the bridge. You know, if you want to control yourself mentally Breathing, proper breath is the beginning. You want to control yourself emotionally. Proper breath is the beginning. Physically, proper breath. So it is the trigger that begins the control process for all of these things. So if I'm in that situation and I feel that emotional rise inside the body, how do I deal with it? And, you know, there's different, obviously different systems of breath, different ways of doing it. Uh, usually the first one I teach, uh, I call it a full cycle breath, and it it teaches how to take a full controlled breath. And it's the it's the one of the first ones because it contains all of the processes that you can do for other types of breath. There's different ones you can use for different situations or different levels of stress. So say you're on the street. Here comes two guys now across the parking lot. They're both 100 pounds bigger than you. And you can look on the look on their faces. It's not good. They just walked across, got on your side of the street. They're looking straight at you and coming right for you. Your wife's with you. Okay, I'm starting to feel it a little bit. So one of the first things I'll teach students is you have to control that emotional energy. I start to Use the breath as a bridge of control because once it gets away from you, it's hard to pull the leash on that dog and get it back.
0: Wow, <laughs> wow. that is so well explained and so fascinating. And I, I couldn't agree more the importance of proper breathing, nose breathing, breathing. Um, you know, breathing slowly and in, in a really relaxed way, not just when you're, you know, meditating. If that's something you do, if, if that's part of your mindfulness practice, but also in everyday life, I just think it helps calm the situation down and bring a, a new level of awareness where you can make so much better decisions.
1: Agreed. And you know, you you mentioned having a morning routine, and you know, you practice your breath, the process, and you. There's life will give you situations to practice this that isn't getting punched in the face every day. So I'm in Atlanta, Georgia and traffic.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I've been there. It's terrible.
1: (laughs) It's a, it's a, it's a counseling session. You know, you get somebody pulls out in front of you or runs a red light every 10 minutes. (laughs) So, uh, you know, you know how it is. You'll be in your car. They cut you off. First thing you do Why you emotionally it just runs the the gambit. Well, if you could recognize that, that is a perfect opportunity to train, take the breath, gain it under control, keep on going. Mm. And that those little moments can help you prepare yourself for potentially for that moment where you have those two guys walking across the parking lot.
0: Mm. Wow. I love that. That I, I love looking at those opportunities, something that we would, generally consider a, a crappy situation that would get us really pissed off and like maybe potentially like ruin a day as an opportunity. That's a time when you can train yourself to relax and realize like, this isn't a big deal. Maybe this person's having a bad day or they're in a rush to get to the hospital or something like it's not that big of a deal and you can just take a breath and relax and and enjoy that. And that's an opportunity. I love that you made that point. Um, I would love to hear about your book, The Warrior's Path. Tell us, um, you know, why you decided to write that book and what it's all about
1: oh well um I, you know i spent a life in the a warrior's culture uh, lots of martial arts schools I've, I've had a passion for it for over 40 years i love it <laughs> and um you know you 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 go in you train the system and like i said earlier you get in opportunities even in the academy you may have a good friend you're grappling or pummeling or maybe you're kickboxing and. He punches you in the nose (laughs) (laughs) and you have that little emotional jump. And that's not the only situations that are created. There's so many uh, improvement opportunities that happen on the mat, but that's not in the curriculum. Like, uh, so when I was coming up, I'd have one of those opportunities and my teacher would see that I got a little upset um, or maybe I was dealing with fear inappropriately, dealing with the unknown, unappropriately, And so he would come up to you and go, hey, here's an idea for you to consider, maybe thinking this way. And before you start this thought pattern, maybe if you did this breath, it would help you control yourself physically, and it would help you direct your mind, and you would be more effective in what you're trying to do. And I remember learning that in maybe come back to the next class and doing it and go, man, that is so powerful. Mm -hmm. And I'd go to the teacher and I go, where's this on the curriculum? I didn't see it on the curriculum. And they're like, well, it's not. And this happens so many times over 40 years of studying multiple martial arts. And it was never written down. (laughs) So I started making a little notebook. I'm like, this stuff is so valuable and I get so much from it. You know, it's like, It allows me to be more effective, to do more, to achieve more. It's so powerful. So eventually, I started teaching, and I had that notebook. And when you create an environment on the mat, the same thing happens for everybody else. There's little opportunities to learn those life skills and apply them. (laughs) So when it pops up, now here I am. I'm the teacher going over to the student going, hey, you ever thought about this? You ever thought about that? And... I got the same question. They would look at me and go, why don't you teach that on the curriculum? And I'm thinking, well, it's, it's how it was taught to me. It was taught to me on the edge of the mat in between the classes. And they're like, you should teach this Mm. and you should have a program for it. So, you know, I started taking notes and making a list and I thought, well, I'll, I'll create that program someday. Maybe it'll be of value to somebody. And then uh, last year happened, right? We we had the pandemic, and everything just shut down. The phone quit ringing. uh, The the academy had to close, and I took two months off, and I ended up in the uh, the mountains of Virginia with nothing to do. (laughs) 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 So I started I started writing. You know, I said I'm going to do this curriculum at first, and the curriculum eventually turned into a book. And so that's what the book is, is it's all of that collective knowledge that I learned over the years in between the classes or on the edge of the mat. And my goal at first was to help my students and clients. But as I went through the book, I, I wanted to put something together so it would help non-martial artists too, so that everybody out there could have access to the information. And then have some methodology to train it and and get the same benefit because it's done tremendous things for me. I mean, without the knowledge that I learned from my mentors, I I never would have accomplished half the stuff that I've done in my life. So that's how the book came together. Um, And then part of it was putting together the program to teach it. And that is the Warrior's Path program. I do a lot of coaching with it uh, individually. And I, I got to the point where my schedule was pretty full. So in the last six months, I've started to train other mentors or coaches. I like to refer to them as a mentor so that they can deliver the program as well. So that that's how everything came together.
0: That's amazing. Man, there's so much wisdom in what you just said. I, I love that you took such a crazy bizarre, you know, what most people would consider a setback and made it an opportunity for yourself to create something, to make a program. Like I, I get so frustrated with people who just complained this last year about everything that happened without making something of this. I mean, the whole reason we're having this conversation is we decided to take this opportunity and do something a little bit different. And now we have a podcast and we can interview people like you. And I just I love I love finding people who took something that looked like a setback and made it into an opportunity. And I think it's so wise to consider the in-between what you mentioned, like the edges of the mat. Like it's not just... Being in the situation where you're training, it's the in-between times. There's so much to be learned from the space in between words and the gaps in music and the, the the places in between. I think that's just so wonderful that you were able to, you know, find those opportunities and find the in-between space. And I think, you know, you've used the term the warrior monk so many times, and that looks like almost like an oxymoron, like, you know, the, a, a monk is so peaceful, <laughs> and a warrior is not, but those are the same thing. And I, I think it's so cool that you've been able to find the, the where those two things come together.
1: Uh, yeah, I agree. And and just the principle in doing that itself came from those experiences. Mm. You know, it's uh, it's I always refer back to the warriors' culture. Um, what are you going to do? You know, you you do the best with what you've got and where you're planted. Uh, what are you improving today uh, what is your plan to improve have you scheduled time to put energy and some life units into it and you know it it creates growth and change so wow
0: Man, I love that. So, okay. So you're in Atlanta, Georgia. You mentioned that you do a lot of coaching. What does it look like if somebody wants to work with you? Do they need to work with you in person? Um, I know you've got those online classes that I am so excited to sign up for. Um, how, what does it look like if somebody wants to work with you?
1: Oh, uh, well, uh, I actually do a lot of them over zoom. Uh, and I've got clients, uh, here around Atlanta that will come up to the academy. Right now, the majority of the clients um, that are not physically close usually do it over a Zoom session, either with me or one of my mentors. Uh, To get in touch with me on the program, uh, it's sifuallenbaker.com, S-I-F-U-A-L-A-N-B-A-K-E-R.com. And uh, my contact information is on there. Uh, I'll just reach out and get in touch. Um, And, you know, we can go down the warrior's path program or we can uh, design something specifically for your environment mm. uh, because you know not everybody is uh, a martial artist you know some 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 guys their fight is in business <laughs> yeah or yeah you know it's in the medical field uh, rescue so they don't get on the mat so i try to relate the principles to the environment that the client is in as much as possible.
0: Wow. This is like, seriously, so much more individualized than I would have ever guessed. This has been an amazing conversation. I've enjoyed this so much. I've learned so much. I feel like I've asked, you know, long drawn out questions that don't make any sense because I'm like so much enjoying this. What is one simple tip you would like to leave with the listener from this conversation?
1: Um, for martial arts, for improvement?
0: Um, anything you like. Whatever you think would be the most important to give our listeners, whether that's self-defense, martial arts, you know, wh- whatever you think is most important.
1: Um, have a plan and implement your plan. You know, I like to tell a lot of clients, uh, it's just a dream until you schedule time. And I will hear a lot of them say, well, I don't know what to do. It's like, let's say I want to be an astronaut. <laughs> I don't even know where to start, but it doesn't matter. I'm going to set aside one life unit, one hour of time next week and every week after that to devote to that improvement or that new direction. Now, I may spend six months just finding out who to talk to on the phone just to get started. That's okay. As long as you've set the time aside and you are taking action and and giving that time to it, you will get there. Mm. and realize in advance that it's consistent effort over time. It's not going to happen quickly. It never does. There's no overnight success. You're going to have to put that hour in on a weekly basis moving forward. Additionally, you also have to understand the principle of failure. This is huge. You're going to fail. There is no success without for failure. If I try 10 times, none of them are going to be a failure. If we know that in advance, when that failure shows up, it allows us to have a proper mindset to deal with it. I'm not just going to say, oh, the heck with this. I look like a fool. No, I'm going to see it. And I'm going to go, oh, there's the first failure. Let's move on to number two. Oh, there's number two. I wonder when three will happen. Completely different way to look at it. We know it's coming. Expect it. Not only expect it, go after it, put yourself in an environment where you can actively find those failures so that we can get to them quicker to that one success so and and then get up there and do it make some change make something happen
0: uh, that is so beautiful. I love that what an amazing answer dude <laughs> such. A great conversation. I hate turning off the record button on this conversation. I know you've already mentioned it, but where would you like people to go to find you?
1: Uh, the best place right now is sifuallenbaker.com. S-I-F-U-A-L-A-N-B-A-K-E-R.com. Um, and all my contact information is on there and, uh, feel free to reach out and get in touch. I'd love to hear from you that's fantastic
0: seafood Ellen Baker again we are so so grateful for everything that you've accomplished everything that you've taught us um, all the resources that you provided just again for somebody who maybe not is like very interested in the martial arts but is interested in self-defense and things that we don't really like to think about or consider to give tools and resources to people to to make that really accessible is just, it's so valuable and so empowering. And we're so grateful for you and for your work. And thank you so much for coming onto our show today and making the time and educating us. And even if nobody listens to this besides me, I will walk away from this conversation with so much value. So thank you so very much for taking the time and appearing on our show.
1: Casey, thank you. It's an honor to be here. I greatly appreciate you taking the time to have me. Absolutely. It's an honor to host you. And
0: this has been another episode of Boundless Body Radio.